There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. You would have thought that this global pandemic would have been the one thing that would have pierced through the Instagram filter, but it's apparently bulletproof and certainly pandemic-proof. Well, we've all been... Hello and welcome to It's Complicated with Tanya Gooden, the podcast that helps you untangle your relationship with your phone. This is a podcast about learning to live healthily and happily with technology and the digital world and about understanding why sometimes that's so hard to do. Because in learning how to step away from our phones more, we're actually learning how to focus more on our relationships, our work and our health, leaving us happier, healthier and with hours more time in our day. I'm your host, Tanya Gooden, author and founder of digital wellbeing movement Time to Log Off. Each week, I'll be asking a new guest what they've learnt about themselves from the relationship they have with the tiny tyrant in their pocket, their smartphone. So welcome back to It's Complicated. We are at Series 6 now for the podcast, and throughout all of the podcast series... There's been this recurring theme of how tricky social media is for so many of us and yet how difficult, some people say, impossible it is to give up. So I really wanted to have a proper chat with somebody who's done that to get a feeling of what life is like without social media. And I was so thrilled when one of my favourite journalists, Marisa Bate, wrote a piece in The Independent saying she'd actually been off Instagram for five years, which I didn't know. So I was desperate to get her on to have a really good chat with us about why she did that and what her experience of not being on Instagram has been like. And the chat turned into so much more than Marisa's personal experiences. She was so thoughtful and articulate about what social media is doing to us, about the price we're paying for continually engaging with some of the really toxic aspects of social media and kind of asking the question about why we find it so difficult to stop using. So she's so articulate, of course, because she is a journalist. That's what she does for a living. She's a wordsmith. 
She's written for The Guardian, The Times, The Telegraph, Vogue. She was the first member of staff of The Pool, which was one of my favourite online publications, which sadly is no more. And she's also the author of The Periodic Table of Feminism. This is such a brilliant chat with Marisa. I hope you enjoy it as much as I really, really enjoy chatting to her. I just want to give you one tiny little bit of warning, which is it was another of those lockdown recorded episodes and we had this really annoying little scratchy sound that we couldn't quite track down but please bear with it because when you start listening to Marisa it all kind of melts away because she is so utterly riveting to listen to so I will stop talking and I'll let you listen to me chatting to Marisa Bate. Hi Marisa hi welcome to It's Complicated. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I was trying to work out the last time we saw each other. It was definitely pre-COVID, wasn't it? It's a good oh, for sure. a long couple time, of years ago in the days when we used to meet in public places. <laughs> it's just, it feels like a dream, doesn't it? Life, life before COVID. It um, feels like a lifetime ago, doesn't it? It feels like a whole other, other thing that's quite separate. And I thought that was actually quite a good analogy, note my lead in here, to the way you've been leading your life for the last five years. Because I've got you on the podcast to talk about what it's like to give up Instagram. And it struck me that there will be people who can't even remember their lives before Instagram. (laughs) Exactly like, you know, pre-COVID. What did we do before we had Instagram? What did we do before we were stream of consciousness uploading stuff about our day what was life like before social media all those kind of things so I thought you would be a brilliant person to talk about it because you have given up Instagram for five years five years this December or was it last December this well the December's just gone yeah yeah we've just had yeah so I thought it'd be really you know useful for everyone listening for you to talk a bit about why you did that because it is very unusual we lots of people talk about giving up gluten giving up alcohol being sober curious is a you know really big trend and people talk about having you know mini times off social media but I think very few people yet maybe I'm going to say think about giving it up for good so why did you do it and what's it like well I did it a bit accidentally I guess initially because I had my bag stolen and all my belongings were in it, including my phone. And I very quickly needed something in my life to get around, which, you know, is a kind of insight in itself, isn't it? That we feel we need something. And my, because my purse had been taken, everything, and money, my mum sent me (laughs) a burner phone, as she calls them. Um, which was this little Tesco pay-as-you-go mobile. And all I could do was text and play Snake until the idea was that I would replace the phone, the iPhone that I had lost. I'd actually just taken out a new contract, which meant I was sort of tied into this thing and decided what I'd do was stick with this burner for the next pretty much 18 months to see what would happen. And I'd had this really positive experience where I remember my boss being quite freaked out sort of looking at me with this fear that I wasn't going to be able to open emails at any time of morning noon or night but I don't remember having any 
problems. Maybe a little bit around um, Google Maps because I'm not blessed with a with a keen sense of direction. But but having said that, I remember I met a friend in in Paris, and she was in a northern part of France, and we met in Paris, and we met at a restaurant, and that was without Google Maps or emails or anything. So I I realised quite quickly during that that I was I was very happy without a smartphone. It then it then got to a stage where because of the work I was doing at the time it was quite news based and at that point the the kind of journalism I was doing was very responsive news led stuff and it was becoming increasingly tricky not to be connected in that way and I was very ambitious and I didn't mind that my hours were longer than they perhaps should have been and all all the rest of it so I so I did eventually get returned to a to a smartphone when my contract sort of allowed me to replace the phone but at that point when I was sort of setting everything back up again I decided no more Instagram and I had been an active user on Instagram I was 30 at the time I was in the media you know many people see Instagram as an absolutely kind of non-negotiable essential to being in the media especially if you're a writer and you're trying to make your name and you're trying to build a you know self brand and and all the rest of it but I hadn't missed it at all in those 18 months without it and and more than that is that I'd actively enjoyed not having it in my life and I I know what I'm like I I knew I, I have a I've had you know addictive tendencies around my smartphone so I knew that this could be one less poison to cut out and Instagram impacted on me in ways that other media, social media platforms like Twitter and LinkedIn just n- haven't. I mean, they have. Is that because of the visual aspect? I of think it. yes, and I think for me the big issue was that it were two things going on: the visual in terms of how it made me feel about myself, body image, everything like that. But the other part was really associated with my work. What I, what I was noticing was, you know, this rise of influencers and not just big kind of made in Chelsea stars. But even within my sphere, Instagram influencers having illustrious writing careers because of their Instagram following and not the other way around. And People I getting book very... deals because of their following. That's a big thing, isn't it, but, at the moment? Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah massive book deals uh, commissioned by newspapers and magazines because of their following and I have you know felt very strongly that I wanted my work to be you know perhaps this is a bit naive and self-defeating but I felt very strongly that I wanted my work to be uh, recognized for the work and I couldn't bear to have to accompany my work with pictures of my face it just made no sense to me and, 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 it, and I didn't like it. I didn't feel comfortable. I didn't like it. And I did not like this idea of this game that was clearly unfolding. That was clearly making some people very successful. That was, was, that was kind of happening in front of me. And I could see it was working. And I have had plenty of friends with very good intentions say, you need to, you need to join Instagram and you need to do this and you need to do that. But I, it, you know, and perhaps it's too much on my high horse and perhaps that's why I... <laughs> I don't have a string of book deals, but I just didn't, it was a game I didn't want to be part of. And it, and it made me feel sad about the media. 
And so those, you know, that coupled with the very common comparison culture, it was just making me miserable. It just made me sad. And, and it made me sad and it sort of would underline all of my own insecurities with a big kind of fat red pen. Somehow looking at it, it would turn into a mirror and whatever I was seeing was the absence of what I had in my life. And on top of that, I was sort of sort of very dis- disenchanted and dismayed by success coming through the quality of your selfie, not because you have anything particularly original to say or you're saying it in a particularly original way or, you know, any of those things. Now, of course, there are people out there who, who are very blessed and can do both <laughs> and they're fantastic at what they do and they also play the game and you know I'm not saying I'm not saying that people on Instagram are talentless by at all but I I was just seeing something that I found I I had a really strong reaction to really strong and and it's never really changed that that feeling and so those were the things that made me think I just don't need this thing on my phone I'm really interested because so many people tell me what you've just told me about how you know they don't want to play the game they hate comparison culture they hate what it's doing to us and yet they also say but I can't give it up because of and normally my job you know everybody has to be on social media you all have to have a presence you all have to have a profile and there's so many people struggling with that I think so you just said a few minutes ago that it's been nothing but positive so just talk me through how positive it's been because there will yeah. be people listening think, to no, it thinking, I, I just can't do it because, you know, the problems are, are more than the positives. And I understand that. And I would, you know, there is a caveat here that I feel like I can't walk away from Twitter. But I have a very different relationship to Twitter because no, Twitter doesn't ask me to put pictures of myself put or my life. a picture life. of yourself, yes. Yeah, yeah. Or my, I mean, I don't have a job. But, you know, and if, you know yeah. <laughs> an invasion into your life. So the, the, the positive stuff, the obvious positive stuff is not being drowned in a sense of other people's achievements all the time. I, I think Instagram, to be fair, is a lot about how you use it. Like anything you abuse, it's not, it's not necessarily the thing. You know, if you look at alcohol, you know, some people can have a very healthy relationship with alcohol. It's not necessarily that alcohol is the problem, it's how you use it. And I think that's true of Instagram. So I know, I know lots of my friends use it in a very healthy way. I was not using it in a healthy way. I was following lots of very kind of thin, blonde, influency type girls who would have free trips to Mexico and, you know, <laughs> prance around and all of that kind of stuff, which was madness. And I didn't need to follow them, but I would because I... I'd look at them and I'd, I'd look how they'd look and I think, why are you on a beach in Mexico and I'm not? So I think, so I <laughs> cut that, you know, cutting that out of my, that habit for me out of my life was just a good thing. For me personally, if I was following those sorts of people who triggered all sorts of insecurities, obviously it was overwhelmingly positive to just cut that out of my life. Yeah. They are um, the majority though, aren't they? Those type of people yes, on, on Instagram. I, I mean, you know, that... So. I, it is quite hard and that says a lot about us and about social media but it's quite hard to to follow people that don't have that kind of stereotype so yeah and even if you look at them as they're kind of real extreme on the scale you come down that scale and what you're seeing is people you know and like 
showing you this slightly strange <laughs> presentation of themselves where everything's kind of glorious and wonderful all the time. And I didn't like that either. I did not like this kind of unspoken competition. I did not like the look how, look how great everything is. I did not like the faux authenticity of, oh, I'm having a terrible day, but I just happen to look oh. like this still. <laughs> um, I love the ones, my favourite ones are the ones who, who photograph themselves with not an inch of fat on them and then say, it doesn't matter what you look like as long as you've got a healthy lifestyle. And I think, so why are you standing there in a bikini telling us that? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And those layers of falsities to the outsiders, maybe to themselves, I have no idea. That kind of angered me. So, so just taking all of that out, I just think is a healthy thing. Does it not cause problems for your job? Because, so you know, the, yeah, again, so the, lots of journalists tell me, actually, you know, journalism is the one thing that you have to be on social media for. So do you think you've lost opportunities? Has it? I'm sure I have. I'm not. That is where it's not completely positive. I don't know what those opportunities are because yeah. I wasn't there to see what they were. Yeah, of course. Um, and you're so not seeing not... them on social media, which is great. So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what they would have been I guess I don't know that I've missed opportunities but I missed I guess I missed the opportunity to make opportunities or to find opportunities and I'm sure I have I have very little doubt about that just because I understand how the media works and I understand where the eyes are and I understand how these things seem to work increasingly so it's a payoff, right? You know, there is a reality that um, the media, these, these are, you know, I mean, I guess it also depends on what type of journalism you do. I don't find stories on Instagram, whereas I yeah. definitely find stories on, on Twitter, Twitter and find people yeah. on Twitter. And for me, giving up Twitter would be a, a massive thing for my career. So I knew that for me personally, Instagram and the whole life, the world of lifestyle was and it, you know giving it up means doesn't mean you never see it again you know instagram's reported on nearly every day every day on my apple newsfeed there's stories about instagram you know so you you do you do find what's happening on instagram anyway um, have you gone sure. completely cold turkey or have there been moments when you've you know the analogy of taking a drink again you know have you taken a sip and then thought no Falling off the wagon oh yes. for sure <laughs> Yeah, for sure I have. And they really correspond to moments of me just feeling a bit crappy about myself. For me, when I look at, particularly there's, there's a kind of a handful of these influences that I will look at. And it's the closest I'd ever got to self-harming in that I am trying to make myself feel bad. You know, not, I, mean, I don't I mean to underestimate self-harming or the nature of it, but it's, it's a deliberate, intentional act to in some way you know afflict some harm on myself and I recognize that and it's no one you know it's not a, a serious thing but I you could draw if there was a graph you'd see my mood plummet and then you'd see you know maybe I'll sneak onto Instagram and lurk at these people it doesn't happen very often so it's and kind of masochistic scrolling you know I'll see that everyone else's bit. lives are perfect and mine isn't yeah I recognize yeah, that and it's, I've it's often not that. Yes, yes, and it's it's on individuals. I never go back to the feed. I'm looking for individuals when I do that. So 
yeah, it's an unhealthy habit. You know, I I wrote about it and compared it to kind of a McDonald's binge. You crave it. There's sort of a moment of relief. And then, and then you feel rubbish. You, think, yeah. you feel rubbish and a bit dirty and think, God, yeah. why did I do that? So what impacts it had on your relationship with your friends? Because presumably you are the only one in your friendship group who's not on social media. And um, so much... Do you know of what people do now is messaging on social media isn't it and posting each other and yes I'm not the only member of my friends who's not on social media wow Um, that's very interesting tell us more about that (laughs) well my my best one of my best friends she comes on and off Instagram but for long periods she'll be off it my partner isn't on any social media platforms at all (laughs) apart from LinkedIn I should say so it's not, and and my friends, uh, my some of my close friends, my close friends who aren't in the media, use it very innocently, and there's kind of, you know, pictures of. I don't, I don't know what, but when when I saw, you know, when we were on Instagram, it was very innocent pictures of their walk or a day on the beach or something. It's not the thin blonde bikini type. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, what I have noticed is the change during the pandemic I was going to ask you about that so you've preempted completely yeah tell me then yeah because I feel with my friends not being on Instagram did not matter at all I would see them they would show me any pictures that they wanted me to see um they would you know maybe send them to me on whatsapp or I would I would find out about their lives easily (laughs) and maybe not as quickly but I would and so that was all fine now of course we're not really seeing friends I think this lockdown especially the third one you know all of my friends seem to have vetoed zoom calls everyone's very much over that I hate a zoom call (laughs) yeah and I think this is the first time I've thought you know friends have had babies a couple of friends have had babies and I know they're probably putting pictures of their babies on their Instagram stories or whatever and I know I'm not seeing those pictures that's for me that's not enough of a reason to return because I'll just ask them to send me some pictures if I feel like I'd like to see some pictures of their baby but it's the first time I've thought I'm out of this conversation and maybe I actually want to be part of it it is a very very unusual time though isn't it it's difficult to you know imagine a time hopefully that will be like this again My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards... Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You said in a piece that you wrote about that, you found you'd been having longer phone calls with friends and sort of catching up with them that way. Is that is that one one way you've tried to kind of keep in the loop? Yes, I think my aversion to social media, and even my aversion to big WhatsApp groups, chats like that, I, I don't really like any of it. Um, I never have. I hate big groups with lots of people on them. I hate the chat. So I have to make an effort to be involved and know about people's lives and um you know my favorite way of doing that is face to face if I can't do that it's the telephone it's just the phone I just want to pick up the phone and ask my friend how she is and let the conversation just go wherever it goes and you know that takes time because you can't you know I think on big group chats people feel like they're ticking lots of boxes at once they're with this group they're with this group they've kind of covered everyone off and obviously it takes time to more time to have those sorts of conversations with all of your close friends and especially the ones who've just had babies or people who are very kind of burnt out with work at the moment or just finding the pandemic hard then you know they might not want to to do that but that's that for me is all you know that is preferable to me yeah I agree with the ticking boxes thing I think we feel like we've caught up with our friends when we've liked a post or or replied, you know, with a emoji on a WhatsApp group or made a comment, but actually, I'm a fan of phone calls like you. I, I think you can't you can't really catch up with somebody in a in an emoji or a comment, can you? Talking to them is just a much better way of making a connection. I think so. I think you get a better sense of how they actually are, as opposed to what they've done. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and I what think, they look like. Um, yeah, yeah, right. Because social media is like, I went here, and uh, this is my new puppy, and this is this thing I wrote, and it's all the things you've done, and actually, it's never really how you are. And you know, I I like to think my friendships are more based on how we are than what what we've done. And some people have said to me that actually, social media, far from 
making them feel more connected. It's kind of exacerbated that, you know, everyone's having a better pandemic than I am. <laughs> so everything you talked about before the pandemic has kind of been really emphasised when suddenly you, you know, you're at home on your own, not able to talk to people and everybody's, you know, doing yoga in their front rooms and baking sourdough and generally having a wonderful time. So, yeah, I find that quite staggering. I shouldn't be surprised, but you would have thought that this global pandemic would have been the one thing that would have pierced through yeah. the Instagram filter, but it's apparently bulletproof. And yeah, yeah, people are still proof. competitive about their pandemics. <laughs> and and still everything's fine. You know, Perfect, yes. Joggers and, yeah. Um, houseplants, yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't mean, I don't mean to be facetious, and I, know, I also know that, you know, some people, my new mums have told me how helpful Instagram is during the pandemic, and... I know people have found friends on it and communities on it and work on it and all of those things. And I do think it's a personal choice. So I don't want to berate people for using it because I'm sure some people use it and get a lot from it. But I, I was surprised um, when I wrote about this for The Independent. I, the, the editor asked me to log back on to see how I felt. <laughs> and I did. And I was surprised at how glossy everything still was because you know there was some interesting pieces I don't know if you saw there was an interesting piece in the cut about uh, when the pandemic first hit it was like is this the end of Instagram you know can we still be posting these frivolous things and it was this very thoughtful piece of writing from someone who had sort of you know really had Instagram in their life and I thought oh maybe this is a sea change how how interesting point. yeah yes not from what I've seen. And even, you know, when we think about what's been happening in Dubai. I was going to say, I know, think there have been mini backlashes, haven't there? I think right at the beginning, there was that backlash against all the kind of celebrities who tried to get on Instagram and, you know, make it about them. I think that was that was a there was a big kind of anti-celebrity culture. And then I, I do think the influencers going to Dubai and, you know, the Caribbean, there was a, a kind of mini backlash against that. But essentially, you're right. I think it still carries on with everyone being competitive. And, and even I love that comment you made earlier about the kind of faux, you know, I'm having a really terrible time, but I still look wonderful <laughs> posts. I've seen a lot yeah. of those people looking beautiful, staring forlornly into the camera saying, you know, this pandemic's really hard. Gosh, I sound so harsh saying this, even saying it. But, you know, still looking wonderful, still looking gorgeous. And me thinking, how much is that helping anyone else or indeed you exactly and I mean I don't you know it's complicated isn't it as yeah (laughs) indeed (laughs) it is complicated and I you know I do understand I think there's a lot of very interesting things to be said about Instagram and influence culture not just not reducing it to kind of you know people kind of people putting on a, a glossy exterior I think you know there's a lot going on I think there's issues with gender involved yeah. I think you know um the idea that you what people feel obliged that they have to to do and how that's tied into their own self-worth and all those things so I, I don't I mean it, yes I think influences going to Dubai is ridiculous but the I normalization think... of extreme navel gazing yes. you said in your piece and that really leapt out at me and I thought yes that sums up so much of what Instagram's become, that people dissect themselves kind of on camera. 
<laughs> for the for the benefit of their audience and and you i watch some of it happening and think is this okay that people feel they have to do this now yes and i and i want you know we i mean it's been said lots lots of times but we are in such an individualistic age and i was waiting to see how that collided with a collective global grief we're we're very much about ourselves self-care how we feel we center ourselves in everything and that sells that's what people want you know there's a reason people you know film themselves making breakfast is because people watch it and that is premium this this insight into someone's self and so we all sell ourselves too and you know the self we are just we think so primarily as individuals and our most important thing is how things impact us and now we're in this moment of a collective crisis where other people are suffering as much if not more and I've been waiting to kind of see if our gaze turns outwards and of course in lots of areas it has but it hasn't stopped that that same self-centering of of this this I'm going to tell this story through me I'm not just going to tell the story of now I'm telling the story of me and our and our appetite for it hasn't gone away either I mean that's the other thing you can blame people for putting up these pictures but you also have to ask people why they look at them and why they click on them and why they are part of this ecosystem and this isn't new you know this this idea of this kind of individualism is not a new idea, but it's rampant with social media and Instagram as its natural home. And, it, you know, Instagram has, has found a way to really, I think, amplify and accelerate that, that idea and legitimise it, normalise it, uh, and, of course, sell it primarily. But in that, it has become this very, very normal thing. Um, and I think we've got so removed from that, we've got so removed from the idea that you would go and see a wonder of the world but you would take a picture of the wonder of the world, but with you in the foreground. Or, you know, if you go to any of the big galleries and you see all the famous artworks, you, you see people taking a picture of the artwork, but with them in the foreground. And nothing seems to make sense to us anymore if we're not quite literally in the picture. And that that makes me sad. I, you know, um, I think we, we've just stopped looking outward. We've stopped looking at others who... You know, our, our, and that our strength is not just in our understanding of ourselves and making ourselves better and knowing ourselves better and being happier ourselves. We've forgotten that our real strength is in our collective nature and what we can do as a collective. And I, and I think that's, you know, when I really get to thinking about Instagram, I, I kind of always end up here because I don't, I feel very strongly about not being in a world that idolizes these individuals and, and, you know, has given everyone their 15 minutes of fame because I don't think it's, on the whole, very good for us all. And, you know, lots of people will tell me that self-care is essential to, to doing activism because if you haven't looked after yourself, then, then how can you look after anyone else? And that's true to a point, but, if, you know, that's not true when all we do is think of ourselves. And that It becomes in, in self-obsession, doesn't yes. it? It goes, yes. it morphs from self-care into self-obsession, which is when it gets... Yeah, really tough. You're very, I, I'm, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking you've got such a unique perspective. You know, I know there are other people not on social media, but they are in the minority. 
and you're able to look in from the outside in a way that's really kind of gripping actually <laughs> watching all these people it's a bit kind of big brother you know you're you're on the outside watching <laughs> us all in the celebrity house thinking <laughs> what are you doing if there's somebody listening who's toys with the idea of giving up Instagram or social media, what would you say to them? What would you, you know, advise them? Well, I think, you know, with um, giving up anything, it's the same thing. You know, don't put too much pressure on yourself. You know, you don't have to look at your phone and say, I'm never going on Instagram again. I don't think I thought that when I did it. I just thought, I'm not going to put it on my phone. And then I just realised I hadn't for a very long time. So I don't think there's any, you have to make some big commitment. Um, and equally, I don't think you should beat yourself up as in a week's time you're, you're back on it. But I, I do think you have to be honest with what it's giving you and honest with how it makes you feel. And I struggle with that with Twitter because I do feel, you know, I have to use Twitter for my work quite a lot. I leave Twitter the minute I go on holiday, won't look at it at all. I don't look at it on the weekends. So is it on your phone or is it on your... It's on your... my phone. Yeah. But I just try and see it as a work thing. Yeah. Like um, email. Have... Yeah. yeah. Like work email. I have blockers email, I mean. on yeah. it um, at certain times so I can't get on it. And I think, you know, I, what I recognise is if I spend too much time on Twitter, even though, it's, even though it's different to Instagram in so many ways, I'll start to feel a bit rubbish. And I think you've just got to be honest about how these things are making you feel and what they're actually giving you. Now, I understand the career thing, and I think, you know, for journalists, I'd say, well, is there a way of, you know, if, if you really want to believe this is a work tool, well, then use it only in work hours, put blockers on, nine till five, you know, put blockers on over your lunch break, you know, use it only as a work tool. Um, and you could, there are ways to enforce that if, if you don't feel like you have the willpower. But I do think, you know... I, I do think it's, it's also really possible, right? We're kind of like, oh, my God, how can you do this? My well, that's why I wanted to get you on, because people keep yeah. saying to me it's not possible to do. And I thought, well, here you are doing it. So it is possible. I, I think there are, yeah. And I think I'm not, you know, I think I'm probably not as rare as, as you know, like I look at my partner who who is not on any social media platforms and he's, he's, he's so informed about what's happening in the world. No, he doesn't need it for his job, so that is very different. But he's he, there's nothing I can't talk to him about that he hasn't engaged with in, through newspapers or, you know, you know the news. Podcasts, um, yes. Podcasts. Yeah. He listens yeah. to so many podcasts. You know, he reads loads of books. He watches interesting... You know, there's a whole other wealth of things out there that will keep you engaged with the world. And that's what I mean, you know, what is it serving? Why are you doing it? Why do you feel the need to do this? Why, if you really resent it that much, you know, really examine how you feel when you're doing it. How do you feel when you're posting? Who are you thinking, who are you posting for? Who are you hoping sees this? And I think it deserves that level of, in, of examination to really understand because you know, I think we can be quite flippant when we talk about social media and we like to be rude about it and we like to sort of almost undermine it. But how can we undermine it? It's so powerful. It's so integrated into so many areas of our lives. It causes huge problems for all sorts of people in all sorts of ways. You know, it's not something to be flippant about. And 
I think it deserves the time and the examination. And if you can understand your motives, I think then you can understand how to, to factor it out of your life. But what I would also say is like, yes, of course, like you can have, you can have a happy life. And I, I take just as much pleasure. I mean, someone joking with me once that I take so many photos. I have a, I have a, a Polaroid camera. I have, uh, I take so many photos on my camera roll. And my colleagues are like, well, where are all these pictures? We don't see them. And, and it's like, that. well, that's, I don't, that's not the point. You know, I have the pictures. I have the memories. And if there's a great picture that I want my friend to see, I send it to her. And, you know, and so you can still get a lot of those feelings of sharing, of documenting, of, you know, creating those memories. I love scrolling through my camera roll. I love it. You know, you can still have all those things. But I think we constantly have to ask ourselves, is why am I sharing this and who am I sharing it with? Like, who am I, who do I want to see this and why? And that's when I think you can understand that perhaps you don't, you don't need it in the way you thought you did. I could honestly talk to you about this. <laughs> for hours but I am going to ask you the three questions that I've been asking everyone right at the end of the podcast so my first question is what three words would you use to sum up your relationship with the digital world technology social media you know any any aspect of dealing with digital yeah it's a really excellent question because I think also you're it kind of depends what time of the day you'd ask me a little bit. <laughs> but I came up with uh, my three were reluctant. Ah, yes. um, yeah. You've, you've it demonstrated that a lot, I think, when you were talking about how you didn't really want to be playing the game before you gave so, it up. Yeah, I feel re- a reluctant uh, person in the digital world, for sure. But I, the other thing I would say, which is, is actually two words, is um, I'm in awe of the wider digital world. I'm in awe of what it can do. For good, things like the Arab Spring or the Me Too movement, these big social movements that were helped by the digital world. You know, you can take that right down to a really micro level. You know, my phone helps me drink water. If I didn't have that app on my phone, <laughs> I'd probably be in hospital, dehydrated. You know, it's really helped me get a grasp on my finances because of the banking apps. So I, you know. I can see how it improves health, you know, what it can do for health and uh, inclusivity and all those things. Um, So, yeah, I'm in awe of it. I'm in awe of it, too. And I think the third one was cynical, again, for so many of the reasons we talked of, but also because of the nature of big tech, of how big big tech is, of how influential big tech is, of how little they do, how irresponsible they are how I think deregulated it all is, how very serious their responsibility is, you know, how completely and utterly serious it is when you, you have things like the dark web and, and child abuse and all those things. Mm. And as um, you say, so much of it is trivialised, isn't it? And it's so yeah. trivialised. Yeah. And yet, you know, there's very interesting things about, you know, the need for greater privacy and, and Facebook bringing in tougher privacy laws, but what this will mean is that less images are checked. And if you're not checking enough images, think what those images could be and think how you can share them. So I, 
I just think, you know, I'm, I'm fascinated by this, this world and it is a world we're in and it is the future, but it, it, it's severely unchecked at the moment, I think. Mm. So reluctant, in awe yes. and cynical. Good words. What do you wish you'd known or kind of understood more about the digital world before you started using it? I'm thinking that you can probably remember a time before you were oh, sure. you know, fully yeah. immersed in it and yes, using it. Yes, I can. I can remember that time, definitely. I think, you know, when I read this question, my, the first thought that came to my head was how much I just gave away. My data, my data is valuable. <laughs> Data's big business, <laughs> you know, and we just gave it all away. We just we just handed everything over we all did that of course yeah. mm. and we didn't think twice um and we just gave everything away for free and you know i'm googled up to the eyeballs everything i do everything i do is via google and you just you just let these people into your lives so yeah i wish i'd had a much more sophisticated understanding of of what you do when you put your email in a box and send it off i remember having those conversations actually back in the day back in the 90s and the the early 2000s where I you know we were all saying is this a good idea should we be you know but it's like well everyone's doing it you know this is the new world we're all sharing our data we're all putting ourselves all over the internet but yeah I think if we'd foreseen some of the uses some of that data would be put to we might have all stopped and thought about it and finally what have you learned about yourself from your relationship with your phone, which has changed obviously a lot, hasn't it, over the last few years? Yeah. Ultimately, I am happiest without it. I am happiest when I don't know where my phone is. Wow. And does that happen often? Do you? Because you know, people describe a real panic when they don't know where their phone is. So, do you find yourself? you know, often or frequently not knowing where not it is. Not as much as I'd like, no. You know, on a weekday, <laughs> I'll know where my phone is all the time. Yeah. And then in the evening, maybe, or or mostly on the weekends, I've left it upstairs. I'm reading something or we're just having a nice lunch or we're going out for a walk or, I mean, it's limited options at the moment. But um, yeah. <laughs> Going out for a walk. Yeah, yes. <laughs> another walk. <laughs> But I've, I've thought that for a long time, that I've realised, you know, if I'm engrossed with a group of friends, I don't know what's happening on my phone. If I'm seeing something amazing, if I'm, you know, travelling, if if I'm even just really engrossed in a piece of work that I'm doing, I'm not thinking about my phone and what's on it and what I need to check. That's really interesting, isn't it? Because if we define the absence of our phone as being, you know, the one thing that all those wonderful experiences have in common. Because, you know, our phone do- doesn't bring us pure happiness, does it? But so many other experiences do. And actually, if the thing that's the, you know, common denominator is the phone isn't there, it might make everyone stop and think about whether they really need to be so connected to theirs. I think that the, the hard thing is that phones have become very useful yeah so it's deliberately it's very, so yes yeah. they're yeah. very very useful they help you do those things right all those yeah. nice things i've just described my phone makes it easier to do all of those things you know it's easier to travel it's easier to meet with friends it's easier to do all of those things i'll book tickets for the cinema and that you know all of those things your phone is involved now and so separating that out knowing when to say no i don't need my phone right now is harder because you feel like you need your phone because you do so much on it 
and it's sort of stepping back and remembering those heady days where where we didn't we didn't need it yeah and the world didn't end did it <laughs> the, the world was fine I mean I yeah. I still kind of love watching dramas when people just had landlines and, oh I know <laughs> and they just say we'll meet you we'll meet at nine o'clock at this yeah. pub and then you know they just did and if someone was late they were late and that was that I was describing to someone what happened when if you knew you were late you'd have to find a phone box and then you'd have to ring the pub ask to speak to the barman and ask them to find your friend sitting at the bar or somewhere you know and tell them that you were late which meant that you were hardly ever late because it was such a palaver doing all of that that's so yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah. And you never cancelled at the last minute, which is no, so easy to do now. Because you couldn't. Yeah. So I yeah, think we were better friends. Better friends in the pre digital age. Anyway, we could we could go on talking about this all day, but let's not. Um, thank you so much. That, this has been absolutely brilliant. I've really thank loved it. Thank you so it. much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to this episode of It's Complicated. If you haven't already, please do subscribe, rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. It helps other people find us and it means you get a helpful little notification when a new episode becomes available. For more about getting a healthy balance with tech, you can follow me, Tanya Goodin, or Time to Log Off on Instagram and Twitter. And both my books, Off and Stop Staring at Screens, are available on Amazon and at all good bookshops. Finally, for more information about this and other episodes in the podcast series, visit itstimetologoff.com. Lost everything you tried to see Cause we've all been swept My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.